It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome to episode 10 of From the Braves Booth, and today the Braves Booth is in Miami, Florida, as the Braves see the Marlins for the second time in a three-game series coming up later this evening. Alongside Joe Simpson and our producer-engineer Jonathan Chadwick, Ben Ingram here with you, and Joe, we have made it to double-digit episodes, and Candace yet, man, how about that? I can't believe it. Me I'm, either. Are we on the air? Uh, apparently. <laughs> Against all odds, we've gotten to number 10. Who's, who would have thought? This is great. Oh, um, yeah, we're... Down in Miami, we always enjoy coming here, and uh, even though sometimes the weather can get real ugly uh, in the southern Florida area, but the roof overhead here at Land, or excuse me, Lone Depot Park, used to be Land Shark. That's right. Other place. That's right. Uh, anyway, it's uh, it's a great ballpark because we know we're going to play. Yeah, that is the best thing about coming down here. You don't have to fight traffic. You don't have to worry about parking or anything like that. No. Get in and get out. That's true. <laughs> That's exactly right. There's nobody going to congest anything outside <laughs> yeah. from a stan- fan standpoint. Well, the Braves congested the uh, scoreboard last night with a dozen runs. And as we're doing this episode right now, this team has won 11 of their last 13 games. And uh, I put this out on Twitter earlier today. I brought it up with you guys a little while ago. But this seems like a, a, a statistic from last year's team and it was one that I would hope that we'd bring along at some point this season, but it just wasn't happening until recently. But they've scored 84 runs in their last 13 games and exactly half of those runs, 42 of them, have come on the home run ball. And this just underlines what we've been saying for the last two weeks, the additions to this ball club, lengthening the lineup. It's a completely different team, and I don't mean to sound redundant. I've said that a dozen times, but I just can't get over what we've seen over the last few weeks. You know, when you uh, quiz me on that about what the percentage was of, of runs from home runs, I guessed higher. I guessed way higher, and I was wrong. I, I think simply because uh, they hit 11 homers, was it, in uh, Washington right. in three games, and uh, a couple more last night. It just seems like uh, they're coming in waves, and every guy in the lineup has got thunder in his bat, and everybody's either already past 20, 22, 24 home runs, or they're close to it. So that's why I was influenced by the home run ball, at least to this point and over the last couple of weeks, because of how many guys are going deep. It's fun to watch. There's no weak spots uh, in the lineup now. And uh, as I said yesterday, uh, this is a veteran ball club now. With the additions that Alex Anthopoulos brought to the ball club at the trade deadline, this is a veteran lineup that knows how to play. They work at bats. They're going to strike out some because they're aggressive. But man, oh man, can they swing it. Yeah, they can. And it's got everybody else feeling a specific way. And you and I have been watching this all year. And for 108 ball games, they were a 500 or worse team. So you're talking about the good chunk of the season where they just at best were mediocre. So it's just here recently that they've taken off. But everybody we, we speak to says the exact same thing, don't they? 
everybody thinks we're going to win this division running away with it. All of our colleagues that we've talked to, uh, and we haven't been on the road that much, but we get emails and texts from friends around baseball that uh, have changed their tune dramatically. I especially would like to hear what uh, the guys say on MLB Network on Sirius XM, who had counted the Braves out a long time ago. They kept talking about the Phillies, but more likely they were talking about the Mets. And then they would say, well, yeah, the Braves, but uh, I, I just don't see them going anywhere. Yeah. You know, everybody had written the Braves off. I would really like to hear how they've changed their tune now, given what they're doing. Yeah, and I, they're doing. I can understand it because for so long, they were just in this cycle of just repeating themselves over and over and over and over again. They, they might get to 500 and then boom, get knocked right back down. And after you see that for four months of the season, it's hard to imagine that they're all of a sudden going to flip a switch, but this team has. And they've started to make believers out of a lot of people. And you and I have watched and, and really enjoyed what we've seen. But we also know how challenging the schedule is going to be after this road trip. Uh, I, I know that some of the other schedules aren't as like well, the Mets have a tough schedule the rest of the way. You might say that the Phillies is a little bit lighter than what the Braves have. So this is by no means over with not insinuating that. But uh, to have changed the tune and how people view this team with everyone who covers baseball over the last two weeks is pretty amazing. Yeah, but you know what, Ben? They weren't 15 games out. Mm-hmm. They hadn't uh, sunk to the bottom of the division and and had zero chance of coming back. They were still playing, as you said, a little under 500 ball. And thanks to the Mets and Phillies not running away with the division, they still had a shot. And they were playing, uh, we've documented so many times, without Soroka. Uh, without Enoa after he broke his hand, uh, without their three and four hitters. Then Acuna gets hurt. None of those guys were in the lineup. And they were still only maybe no more than four games out of first place. Right. That was nothing. And all of a sudden, they've got some new players. They've got some guys coming back off the I.L., and they're making their run that Brian Snitker had said many times in pre- and post-game shows, we just haven't gone on a run yet. Well, they're on one now. Yeah, they are. And it's been a blast to watch. I'll tell you something else that they've positioned themselves for. And this is something that I was wrong about a few weeks ago when I said, if you want to make the postseason out of this division, you better win the division because you won't get a crack of the wild card as a plan B. Well, that's starting to change. Uh, you want to win the division, obviously, and hope that the Braves do. But they're just three games out of the second wild card. So if you can continue to play good baseball in case – the Phillies or Mets gets extremely hot, and for some reason you end up on the outside looking in, there's still a chance you could be a wild card team. Yeah, and part of that is the Padres slipping. Padres yeah. kind of had a, a lock on that second wild card because everybody was playing so well out west. But all of a sudden, the Padres, uh, with some injury issues and some pitching problems in particular, uh, they're sliding and they're coming back to the pack. Cincinnati is right there. Cincinnati's playing great ball. I, I'm, I look back, and we may look back, uh, at that series in Atlanta where the Braves took two out of three from the Reds and say, wow, yeah, you know, that, that was big uh, because of the way the Reds are playing right now and they're making a challenge for the wild card too. Yeah, gave the Braves the season series against Cincinnati as well just in case you happen to need some kind of a, yeah, right. uh, an edge. They've got that. We'll see Waskari Noah tonight. And you, I think by the way that things have gone lately, you expect really good things. And the reason I say that is anytime someone has come back, anytime the Braves have added a piece that they've not had for a while – He's, he's done extremely well. And now you get to see a pitcher come back. And Waskar, up until that loss with the, against the Brewers where he punched the bench and fractured his hand, he had won four straight 
He had an ERA just over one in those four outings, and he was the best that the Braves had for a while. So uh, I don't know what you expect tonight, but I think in the final two months, a little bit less than two months of the season, he could be really big for this team. It could be enormous. I have no preconceived ideas about what we're going to see tonight. I don't know. You know, I don't know if because he hasn't pitched in a while, if he's going to be all jacked up and hyper and throwing the ball all over the place, or if his rehab has allowed him to kind of get that adrenaline out of his system a little bit where he can settle in and go back to pitching the way he did. But let's face it, when you've been off this long, uh, rehab or not, it's tough to come back and get back to that same level right away. Now, he's facing a lineup tonight as we do this podcast that doesn't have Jazz Chisholm in it, doesn't have Jesus Aguilar in it. So that's a bonus for him, I would say. And uh, we'll just have to wait and see uh, and evaluate as we go along here. If he goes four innings tonight, I'll, I'll be happy. Sure. And uh, I'm, I bet you Brian Snicker would feel the same. Well, Tukey went into the seventh last night. Yeah. And you, you didn't need much of your bullpen for last night's ball game. You won 12 to two. So if that's the case, if he's not able to go all that deep, you should be in pretty good shape for it. You'll see a good one in Sandy Alcantara. I was looking this up earlier. There has never been a game he has pitched in the regular season against the Braves. Where, uh, where where the Marlins didn't win the game, and, and I, I, mm. I, I think that was maybe that was just limited this season. Either way, I know they beat him. The only loss he's ever taken to the Braves was last year in the postseason, got him in the division series. But this is a guy that even when he hasn't gotten the win, the Marlins have won the game. And uh, I was looking at his last three starts. He he sandwiched two of the best starts he's ever had in his career around the worst start he's ever had in his career. So either way, you got a pretty good challenge tonight. I'll take him. Yeah, no <laughs> I, doubt. I, no matter what, I'll take him. I, I think his stuff is as good and plays as well, plays as good in, in the National League as anybody in the division. And and I'm, he may be a notch below Zach Wheeler or Jacob deGrom, but he's not a big notch below those guys. That's right. how good his stuff is to me. Uh, I will, um, you know, going against Enoa tonight, Waskar knows he's got his work cut out for him. But this guy's tough. Uh, he gets a lot of ground balls. I was reading about him today that um, he's up near the top five in the league and getting ground ball double plays turned behind him. I didn't know that. Wow. You know, and but but he's he throws hard. He's busting guys in on their hands and his ball moves. All right, so that'll be the matchup that we see tonight. Of course, by the time this podcast uh, is put out there, you'll have an idea of exactly what happened in the game. But uh, lately, the Braves have done a great job with the long ball. We mentioned that. And something you and I have discussed over the last few days is this infield as a whole has an opportunity to do something truly historic. There's been one infield in the history of Major League Baseball where all four, first, second, third, and short, had 25 or more home runs. That was the 2008 Marlins. Well, this team seems like they're going to make that happen. Freddie's at 26. Riley's at 24. I'm sorry, uh, at 25, I should say. Dansby Swanson's at 24. He needs one. Ozzy Albies is at 22. He needs three. You're four home runs away from your infield doing something that's happened once in the history of the game. And with 44 games, 43 games left in the season, they could all get to 30 if they get hot enough. Uh, it was proposed to me the other day by someone, uh, not only could they all hit 25, they might all hit 30. That's not out of the realm of possibility. And they might all win gold gloves. Oh, that's a good one. You know what? That's That kind of opened my eyes that it won't happen because of the way the voting goes, you know, right. sometimes. And there are other guys that are certainly qualified, but they're all going to be nominees because they've played such great defense, too. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't that be something? That'd be amazing. I mean, that would take it to 
a level that I don't think anybody could touch in Major League Baseball. It's one thing to have all the power numbers or all the defensive numbers, but having those two metrics combined yeah. from four guys, that, that'd be incredible. Be absolutely great if it happened, but uh, uh, that's that's even a longer shot, I think, maybe than all of them hitting 30. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, I think you're right. I think when it comes down to the voting, all four of those guys will be down in the top two or three of their positions. It, it, it seems like it would take an act of Congress to have somebody other than Nolan Arenado at third base. I think he wins it every single year. Uh, but but Austin's had a great season defensively, made a humongous play to save the game the other day in Washington. Yep, he sure did. Um, I don't think there's a better defensive first baseman in the league than Freddie Freeman. Uh, Ozzie's been all – he's like a joystick. I mean, he can go in any direction and make an incredible move, <laughs> yeah. incredible play. And Dansby's improved a lot, hasn't he? Dansby's improved a lot. Um He's, he goes up the middle so well. He, he has uh, – there are times where I think his weakest direction is going to his right. And then he goes out on the outfield grass the other day and makes a play and a long throw from deep short that uh, really surprised me. Uh, showed a real good arm that uh, up to this point he hasn't had to show. But uh, he's good. They're all good. They're all capable of winning a gold glove. And uh, let's just hope – they all keep riding the high they're on right now, both offensively and defensively. I want to ask your opinion about something that has been asked to me by some friends of mine over the last couple of weeks. And I think it, it's worth bringing up. I, I've had so many people make the connection to, well, the Braves are all of a sudden winning and Ronald Acuna is not in there. Is there something to that? And I think to myself, they were a game from the World Series with him in there last year. And I think sometimes we, we get a little bit too aggressive with the, well, this guy's not there and they're performing at this level. So clearly that guy was a problem. And I don't think that was ever the case with Ronald Acuna. I'd be delighted to have him in there tonight and the rest of the season. I just think that Alex made some really good moves exactly in the absence of Ronald Acuna to plug that hole and continue to roll this thing offensively. Yeah, and this has nothing to do, this good run has nothing to do with the absence of Acuna. Uh, What the absence does reflect, though, is that we may not have Adam Duvall on this ball club right. if Ronald was playing. And we certainly wouldn't have Jorge Soler on this team if Ronald had not gotten hurt. So uh, weigh that. Just know that the team looks different because he did get hurt. And it just so happens that all the guys that were acquired are really producing. And we haven't even seen Eddie Rosario yet. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see him. Yeah. Just another option. And I think when you get to September and definitely into October – that's something that starts to separate teams. You see the Dodgers and you see the Giants and you see the Brewers. They can and, and the Rays and the Astros, they can run out teams that look like two completely different teams, depending on if you're facing a righty or a lefty that night. And now with the additions that the Braves have made, get Rosario in there and, and you could have some of the same dimensions as those teams. You could. And, and that's kind of the wave of baseball now is getting all this versatility. I think it's an advantage for Atlanta and certainly for Brian Snitker that he has an infield that he doesn't have to platoon. Most of those teams that have those types of players don't have guys that can play every day. Right. You know, they may be left-handed hitters that can't hit lefties, so they got to swap them out or move them around. Brian Snitker does not have that problem with really five guys if you count Darno. Right. Those five guys you can run out there every day, basically. And then you can kind of mix and match in the outfield if you want to. But uh, when you've got literally five guys that are going to play every day and now Adam Duvall, six, man, oh, man, is that an asset for, 
for a uh, manager. And it helps you give your, your guys some rest when you mm-hmm. want to. Right. And that's really important this time of the season, isn't sure. it? Sure. Well, and Eddie Adrian's has been a great um, uh, substitute all year long, no matter where you play him, whether it's third, even in the outfield. After Ronald got hurt, he did a good job out in right field. Um, so, Lair, I don't know if – if when Rosario comes ba- comes back from his injury, if he's going to be a, an everyday guy, if Soler immediately goes to the bench. But what a nice option to have off the bench if that's the case. Yeah, it is. A uh, month and a half or so left in the season, you think they're pretty good behind the plate with Darno and Vote the rest of the way? I do. I think I, so, I, too. I got no questions about that at all. Yeah. Uh, it's such a lift to have Travis back there and just having that veteran catcher presence, uh, knowing you can – plug him in for two out of every three ball games and then bring along boat and he can get you a base hit here or there and we're, we're not that far from september 1st and expanded rosters yeah i don't remember what the rules are now i know they changed them and i know you can't have 40 guys on the roster anymore um dusty baker made sure that that happened and <laughs> everybody noticed what he was doing a few years ago um but I c- there's going to be some catching depth, either Contreras or Langoliers or both, mm-hmm. and uh, that's just going to make the catching core that much better. Yeah, that'll be great. So that's where this ball club is, and it has been so much fun these last two, two and a half weeks to see what this team has accomplished. As we're doing this podcast uh, right now, the team is 63-56 and 56 and currently a game-and-a-half lead on the Phillies, who were off yesterday, and they're back into the action tonight. So we get the scoreboard watch from the high perch. Who do they play tonight? Let me look that up. Phillies this evening have uh, – they're in Arizona against the Diamondbacks. Okay. So you better keep winning. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, we know that their schedule is lighter, as you said, compared to the Braves and Mets. Uh, they have um, pretty much wiped out most of their trips to the West Coast. You say they're in Arizona, so they're on one now, uh, whereas the Braves still have two to make and a lot of games left with the Giants – Dodgers and Padres. Yeah, I was looking this up and I sent this to you earlier. The Padres schedule the rest of the way? Oh boy. Oh my gosh. You ready for this? Phillies, Dodgers, Angels, Diamondbacks, Astros, Angels, Dodgers, Giants, Cardinals, Giants, Braves, Dodgers, Giants. They could fall right out of the thing. Yeah, they could. And uh, they just signed um, Jake Arrieta because they had to put you Darvish on the I.L., uh, it's a 10-day IL, but who knows with Darvish if it's going to be longer than that. Yeah. But they signed Arietta just as a as a hopeful to eat some innings for them because they are really shorthanded in the rotation. Mets are in San Francisco, and the Giants beat them last night. So the Braves are able to pick up a little bit, little bit of ground over the Mets. And uh, it's just fun to be able to watch this thing from first place uh, for now. Braves finish up this road trip tomorrow, Wednesday. Uh, well, take that back. Finish up the, the stretch in Miami and then continue the road trip to Baltimore and see an awful Orioles team. And not to take anybody for granted, uh, I know this isn't like it, it might be in football where you just beat up on the last place teams all the time. But this time of the year, it's hard not to look at these next two with Miami and then the three with Baltimore and say you should win five of the six ball games. Yeah, you, you hope so. And um, the only thing, the only a hiccup on that is when we go to Baltimore, there's a real good chance we're going to see John Means. Yeah. And he is a certainly a balancing act when it comes to uh, trying to compare teams. He's going to try to level the playing field. He's that good. One pitcher can do that, can he? Yes, he can. <laughs> that team might be awful, but for one out of five days, they can be as good as anybody. No doubt. So that's a, a look into uh, the horizon for what the Braves have. And then they come home, see the Yankees for two. 
And then that back-to-back off day thing that just scratches our head every time. You know, I hope that uh, next week, when those two consecutive days off come, the Braves are still just hot as fire like they are right now. And then after those two days off, when the Giants come to town, I hope we can have a discussion where we say, man, I hope they didn't cool off. (laughs) Because when I was looking at that earlier in the season, I'm thinking, that'll be coming at the best time, August. (laughs) Now I'm thinking, I don't want to see them take two days off. I want to keep rolling. Right. Uh, So, yeah, that'll be great. And uh, hopefully they they bounce right back in there and and take down the Giants and then have a, a tough road trip to L.A., and then four in Colorado, and I know Colorado is nowhere near the top of the standings, but that team can play at home. Yeah, That's look dangerous. out. Don't take them for granted. One of the best home records in baseball. That'll take us through uh, August and into September. All right, it is time to hear from you all. And this is our uh, question portion of our show that we do every single week. That means Jay Chad's going to be joining us. I hope so, because there's a lot of people wanting to know if he's okay. Yes, Lots of concern when it comes to J. Chad. You can email us, and maybe we'll read your question next week, bravesbooth at gmail.com. But I must warn you, if you're going to email us, it better be a good question because we have some of the best listeners that are even out there. I mean, they ain't even close. Some of these questions that get asked to us are tremendous. So we really, really appreciate uh, how intelligent baseball people you all are and and how much you listen to the show and interact with us. We really enjoy getting to do that with you. Bravesbooth at gmail.com. This, uh, let's start this thing off. I like this question. This says, does a pitcher like Max Freed ever fool his own first baseman with a pickoff move? That's from Barry. Not Freddie Freeman. Anybody else I'd be concerned about because a pickoff move is that good. Yeah, Freddie's not going to take his eyes off of him. And the ball's going to be halfway to home plate before Freddie is convinced that it's not coming to first. (laughs) Freddie's ready for everything. Yes, he is. So he's not going to fool Freddie. But I have, and you folks probably have too, seen a pitcher throw to first and hit the first baseman with the throw because he wasn't looking. (laughs) Picked him off clean. Speaking of Freddie, he's my answer to this next question. And I'll I'll throw this one in there and then I'll let JC go. Hi, guys. This is Philip from Germany here again. No longer a free agent fan. So we've convinced... Philip, so let's give them all give them a round yep. of applause. Welcome on board, Philip. Welcome aboard, Philip. Glad you're a Braves fan. Uh, he says, which player on the Braves roster do you think is going to have a more likely Hall of Fame career? And I think it's the guy we just mentioned. Yeah. It's number it's, five for me. It's Freddie. Unanimous. Yeah. I don't think there's any doubt. I think to this the next two or three years in his career crucial for that, mm-hmm. but he's on pace. Yeah, and he's got ten years in the big leagues and that that's an automatic qualifier for people to vote for him. Yeah. Etc. How are you, Jonathan? I'm good, Joe. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing here in Florida? How are you doing? I'm doing okay. <laughs> Have you been by the pool or anything? I went to the beach this morning. Wow. Okay. It was hot. I know that. Yeah, the water felt great. Did it? It did. Were you floating or were you just riding body surfing? I had a noodle. A noodle. Well, yeah. good. good. I hope you had something to float on, too. <laughs> I was about to say, was it yours? <laughs> it was a good time. Uh, okay, good. <laughs> good. Refreshing. I love the format of the podcast. <laughs> Fire away with whatever you want. All right, this is from Cam. What was the first significant game or moment each of you were part of in the beginning of your broadcast careers? You go, Ben. Oh, man. A part of... um. Uh, I was doing 
pregame and postgame the night that Chipper hit that walk-off against Jonathan Papelbon, the final home run of his career. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't calling that one, but was doing pre-post. And at that point, I remember thinking, this this is just, holy smokes. Yeah, wonderful. Um, I mean, I get chills almost thinking about that one now. Mm-hmm. And then later that year, uh, the postseason, the wild card game, and everything being thrown out onto the field and the infield fly, that was that was way up there. Um, as far as games that I have actually called, I've been on the call for, I think, the last two division clinching wins. So mm-hmm. I'd, I'd have to say those. Those have been fun. I would say for me, uh, you know, the last three division championships have been a lot of fun. But probably the thing that I go back to the most is the first game I ever worked uh, in, in the booth, you know, by myself. Uh, knowing that I could do it, there's a lot that goes into it. And uh, I remember being done with that game. We are in Washington, D.C. It was probably 2014, 2015. Don took me out after the game, um, you know, and we had a great night. So I would say to this point, probably the first game I ever did. That's a great celebration there. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a commemorative night that you never forget. Uh, mine, ha- mine goes way back. If you're talking about, as Cam suggested, at the beginning of our careers, um, it goes way back to when I was doing Mariners games and Ken Griffey Jr. was breaking in yeah. and getting to see the kid uh, and his first at-bats in Oakland in the big leagues and getting a double off Dave Stewart, his first at-bat, and thinking, man, this guy's for real. And, uh, and then not too much after that, maybe a year or two, seeing his dad and Ken Jr. go back-to-back and hit homers in Anaheim. That's awesome. That, I, that's never going to happen again. No. That what, was crazy. What was the hype like for Griffey before he got to the big leagues? It was he was huge. Yeah. You know, the Mariners didn't have a whole lot working. They had made him the number one pick in the nation, of course, and he'd gotten off to a good start in the minor leagues, and then he got hurt. He, he ran into a wall or something happened that scared everybody to death, but uh, he rebounded that, from that, of course, and then... Uh, the fans in Seattle and the great Northwest just couldn't wait for him to get there. And he, he got there and didn't disappoint. Bad. Hit a home run his first game in the kingdom after that o- opening road trip in Oakland. Fire away, JC. This question's from Zach. I've been looking forward to this one for a few days. Zach's from Tennessee. He submits a good question every week. He says, for Ben and Joe, what are some hypothetical infractions that J. Chad committed to earn his spot in the Nationals Park penalty box. <laughs> well, Zach, there, there's almost too many to list. Right. Uh, how, many, how much time you got? Yeah, we don't have that much time here for the podcast. But, um, you know, the, the poor guy, that, that penalty box in Washington is on an elevated uh, podium, if you will. I mean, it, they had to make them because they forgot to build, build up a dais, or what do you want to call it, a... A platform behind our broadcast desk so they had to build these metal stairs and I teased him because every time he went up the stairs it sounded like somebody was painting in the room they were on a, a ladder painting <laughs> like scaffolding that's, yes that's one well, and that's what he was posted on so I guess um, the first infraction was uh, two minutes for laddering you know <laughs> right I, I'm thinking um Roughness. I, I could see, see J. Chad's going to get the job done. It doesn't matter who tells him he can't. 
It doesn't matter if someone says, oh, we, we can't make that happen. Jay Chad will find a way to the point where he will get physical and he will get very high tempered, very hot tempered mm-hmm. in order to really enforce this. This is going to happen, whether you like it or not. If he's got to run a cable through a wall, he'll find a run a cable through a wall. Somebody says, well, that, that cable's not going to reach this spot. He'll find a way. So I could see if somebody really stood up to JC, him getting too physical and using his his own brute strength and force to enforce his will, therefore putting him in the penalty box. Two minutes for roughing. Yes. Five minutes for checking. Yeah. You know, that, that broadcast booth there and where, where I work up on that platform you talk about, we had to take the rail of the stairs off to get my equipment up there. And then the way that desk is situated with the plexiglass that goes around it, I was doing some yoga positions I don't think were intended for me to do to be able to put that together. So so what would you, what would you come up with for your penalties? Penalizing yourself. Sweating. I was soaking wet on on Friday in DC. Excessive perspiration. You had two minutes for over sweating. I needed to go take a shower as soon as I got that broadcast booth set up. It was awful. Yeah. Well, that takes me to the next question from Helen. Does Jay Chat ever get tired of being picked on? Doesn't matter, Helen. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, uh, Helen, I'll answer your question, and I'll say no. I mean, it's one of those things where they have the microphones, I do not. (laughs) And so, to Joe's point, it does not matter. And it's all in fun, and it makes me laugh, and we all have a good time with it. So, no, it doesn't get old. Well, that's one of the good things about uh, the the three of us is that, Helen, is that everybody has a thick skin, everybody's easy to laugh, and we have a good time, and I think it comes through on the broadcast, too, because everybody's doing their part, and we take shots at each other and have fun with it. you got to have thick skin to make it in this room. Yes, yes, you do. (laughs) That's for sure. Uh, Let's see. This is from Elizabeth. Did you go to the pool today in Miami? I did not. Uh, Well, I I walked by it. Yeah. Um, I went down to get lunch. Uh, They didn't have what I wanted at, at the cantina, so I went over to the Tiki Hut, and got my proverbial uh, salad with um, grilled chicken on it. But that was that's the best spot to me down there near the pool is the Tiki Hut because you're in the shade, there's always a breeze, and it's very comfortable. That's perfect. I had lunch down there today as well. I love having lunch down there. The view's great. Joe said the breeze. It's very picturesque. I did not get in the pool, but I did walk down after lunch to the beach, hung out at the beach for a while. Uh, we talked about floating mm-hmm. in the Atlantic. So uh, I didn't go to the pool, but I did go to the beach. That's good enough. Yeah, it is. That's perfect. Um, this is one that is real easy to answer for Jonathan. And that is from Dan. When was the last time you washed your car? Last off day we had in Atlanta. So was that last Monday, maybe? Yeah, it's it's almost every day. You've never seen a car cleaner than Jonathan, so I can tell you that, Dan. I don't I don't like a dirty car inside or out. It just it drives me crazy. Yeah, it's it's spotless. Anytime you see him pull into the ballpark, it's going to be a clean car. I promise you. And he wash, washes his car a whole lot more than I do. Mm-hmm. This question's from William. He's curious what you guys think on what it will take to extend Dansby Swanson beyond 2022 and if you think the Braves will re-sign him or possibly trade him this winter. You'll be a free agent at the end of 22, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, 
you know, he's a homegrown boy in terms of him being a Marietta kid. He started with the Diamondbacks, and somehow John Coppolella, God bless him, he was able to steal Dansby away. But um, I, I don't know. That's that's a tough one going forward because lately there are so many shortstops that are free agents. Right. You know, and uh, I guess the toughest part for me to answer is what's the budget going to be for the Braves? How much are they going to have to spend to sign Freddie Freeman between now and the end of, and the beginning of next season? You know, what's what's going to be left? How much can they afford? And uh, while all the fans certainly want Dansby back and want to see him out there, uh, that's going to be a tough question to answer. Yeah, he is. Um, he's ARB eligible 2022, free agent 2023. Oh, okay. Um, I, I don't know if this is the best comparison, we're going to see Trevor Story hit the free agent market this offseason. And I think any shortstop who's going to be a free agent over the next couple of seasons after this offseason will look at that as the standard contract for maybe a, a power-hitting shortstop. And in, in other words, the way we talk about Freddie Freeman and it, what would he get compared to what Paul Goldschmidt got? That's kind of the deal that, that directs the ship for elite first baseman. You might be saying that for shortstops. And depending on what that figure is by whatever team signs Trevor Story this coming offseason, that could be the mark that is looked at over the next few seasons for shortstops. I think, I think that bar's already been set in a way, Ben. And that was by Francisco Lindor yeah. this offseason by the Mets. I think the money that the Padres gave Tatis – uh, kind of made all the GMs go, oh, good grief, you know. We've got shortstops we're trying to sign here, and you're giving a, a one-year player all this money. Right. You're killing us here. Smales, is that what's his name? What was that name? In- Smalls. 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 <laughs> and, and saying, like, you're killing me, Smalls. Yeah. Um, so there's some big money out there already for shortstops, and it's not just, I mean, Correa yeah. is going to be a free agent by the time Dansby comes up. Um Story Seeger uh, uh, at the end of this year, yeah, uh, for the Dodgers. Uh, the year after that will be uh, Trey Turner. Mm-hmm. Man, oh man, we're, we're big we're, time. Name. We're driving the bar up here already. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know what neighborhood the Braves want to play in, or what they would offer for Dansby compared to those other guys. I don't think it'd be Francisco Lindor money by any means. That would be absolutely shocking to me. Um. I, I think you take care of Freddie first and try to get him back here and finish his career here, and then yeah. go on to the next guy at that point. Let's let's get Freddie knocked out, and then we'll then we'll move yeah. on to whoever comes up next. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Um, let's see. We've been asked this question a few times before from Alan. I really enjoy the weekly podcast and listening to the Braves Radio Network. In my job, I can stop whatever I'm doing for an emergency bathroom break, considering that you are live on the radio and just can't call time. That'd be great. Have you ever taken an emergency bathroom break during a broadcast? If so, how do you handle or cover th- for those things? Thank you for all the uh, for the great job that all three of you are doing. And like we said before, if, if it's if it's your innings, Joe, I know that that's my window of opportunity. Make it count if I have to. And if something emergency-wise happened, I think I'd just point to you and say, go yeah and take off and vice versa I yeah guess. you'd hear ben say here's the pitch and you'd hear me go outside ball two <laughs> <laughs> which it, across it's, major league baseball that happened that's happened many times so we work it out jay chad disappears from time to time we never know where he goes but uh it's yep. very tr- strategic he always comes back when i disappear whether it's for a bathroom break or if i need to do something else it's a 
it's, it's as soon as we get back from commercial break before the half inning starts because I know barring a pitching change, I have a couple minutes. Yeah. Well, and are there times where you just get sick of hearing us too, where you just got to leave the booth for a minute? <laughs> yeah, I just take a walk down the hall and come yeah, back. Yeah, good grief. These guys never shut up. Um, this is from, um, where'd I go? There it is, from Corey. 33 years old, listening in Orlando, Florida. Big fan of the podcast, radio broadcast. I've been watching since the 97 season. All-time favorite Brave is easily number eight, Javi Lopez. And we all loved Javi. Man, what a catcher. My question is, who do you think is the all-time biggest Atlanta Braves MLB Hall of Fame snub? Ooh. See, now this is a tough one. There's no unanimous answer here, I don't think. No. I don't know if I like the word snub. I think where I would go with this is two guys I would really like to see eventually get in. One would be Del Murphy. Yep. And two would be Andrew Jones. See, and there's three guys. I got three guys. Yeah. The, the third guy, that I think you're, that's, that's my answer. Fred McGriff. Fred McGriff. Yeah. You're telling me seven home runs. We always say 500 home runs is automatic for the, for the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And you're telling me that a guy that's seven homers short of that who had his 94 and 95 seasons cut short due to the strike. Yeah. That's all it's going to keep a guy out. Yeah, it's, it's not right. Um, and I'm not putting Fred uh, above those other two. Uh, because they are both very deserving. And uh, Dale Murphy, not already being in, is uh, you can call it a, uh, a disgrace or whatever you want. And maybe when a time rolls around for the Veterans Committee to consider Dale, maybe that'll all change. Um, for Andrew, he, his numbers keep going up uh, percentage-wise, and hopefully that time will come. I just, um, uh, any of the three guys, you could throw a net over him and say he's been the most um, uh, overlooked. Yeah, and, and I, I hate to do this. I really do. I hate to point to someone who might be viewed as the last guy currently in the hall and say, well, if this guy's it, but how can you not? And the guy that I go to is Harold Baines. Mm-hmm. And I mean absolutely no disrespect to Harold Baines. He was a tremendous ball player. But I don't think you'd look at his collection of work versus some of these other guys and say his is significantly better than some of the guys who aren't in. No, it wasn't. And and, and I'm and maybe that's a skewed way of viewing things, but because uh, I know different guys' positions kind of mean different things, fair or unfair. But that's how I look at it. Now I'll point to a few different guys and say, well, why him, but not that guy? Agreed. And it, it seems like the the natural way that a lot of people look at we it. We can make big, strong cases for the three guys we just mentioned and make comparisons that would favor them. What you got, JC? This question's from Carter. He says, while I certainly don't want to get ahead of myself, could 2021 wind up being the best managerial job Brian Snicker has done? They win the division, yeah. Yeah, I would say so too. The first year they won it under Brian, I think was like a, a wonderful, rewarding experience for Brian after all the years in the minor leagues, it's like, wow, we got here and I'm the guy that was running the show. Yeah. And remember the the tears running down his face on the field and the wonderful feeling of accomplishment and how much it meant to him. Uh, that will never be replaced for Brian, I'm sure. But with all the injuries and missing parts for this team and all the criticism 
that he has taken, I think it's probably his best job. I think so, too. I, losing all these players, if you told me before the season started the list of guys that would miss significant time or the rest of the season, I said, they're not going to finish higher than third place. No, what, we, we kind of said that. Yeah. I mean, privately, I mean, we weren't on the air, but we were kind of going, uh, I don't know about, I don't know if sure. the team's got enough. And I think everybody felt that way. Yeah. It seemed like a very realistic viewpoint of what mm-hmm. the team was. So I, I agree with that. Even though their fortune has seemed to turn over the course of the last few weeks, it doesn't seem like a lot has come easy this year. No. And so for him to be able to keep those guys in it every day and be as consistent as he is, yeah, I would put 2021 if they go on to win the division at the very top. Yeah. Uh, Let me read this one from Paul. I think this is a a really insightful question. He says, in your positions, I imagine you occasionally or even frequently come across team information that isn't ready for public consumption. This could be a dangerous question to ask, so feel free to reach far into the past or skip it. But are there examples of this that stick out to you that you can share now uh, that enough time has passed? And just for fun, what are your thoughts on Skittles original packs changing the green Skittle from lime to green apple a few years ago. I'm firmly team lime. Thanks, Paul. I haven't had a Skittle in years. I, I've never eaten them, so I can't answer that. I'm with Paul. I'm firmly team lime. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll go first, and I would just say uh, about in, information that isn't ready for public consumption. I mean, sure, there's – I don't know if it's every day, but certainly every week there's things that we're privy to uh, – before it's public and you know i wouldn't want to discuss it i never would discuss it because uh, as soon as i did that um you know trust would be gone and we'd probably be doing something else yeah yeah that's the key is that uh, if the team trusts you enough to say hey this is not for air or hang on to this information until after the game as soon as we violate that trust then that's we don't get that information anymore they're right not, they're not ever going to uh, give us any inside information to hold on to uh, for a period of time. So uh, we have to honor that, and the team knows we won't violate that, and that's why we continue to get information as they see fit. It happens all the time, and to give you an example, Paul, and I, I, don't, you, I don't have to use any names here, but I think the best example would be if we know that the team wants to lay off a guy in the bullpen that night or he's down that night, and you get to a certain point of the game and fans want to know why isn't this guy being used in this situation and there are times where that's the case and we don't even know about it but a lot of times we'll ask snit off the record what about this guy is he available yes no and while it might make perfect sense for that guy to be in there he might have an elbow nagging he might have had some kind of other issue there might be something for whatever reason that they don't want to use him and if you didn't if you didn't know that information already you'd think this doesn't make any sense but there's a lot of information that happens behind the curtain that they don't want getting out there and therefore you get what you get on the field remember uh, hall of fame manager dick williams yeah you know he he was a hard crusty guy and uh, tough and then when he got when he retired from managing, he went to the booth and did a few games. And there were times where uh, that speculation, or call it second guessing, whatever you want to call it, about why a manager didn't use a reliever, why he didn't use a certain pinch hitter. And I remember Dick saying this on the air, and I so respected it. And it comes from a place where he certainly knew what he was talking about. He said, "I don't know what's going on in that dugout. I don't know." what's going on with their players. I don't know, you know, who's available 
to play, just as you pointed out, Ben. And I thought, you know, that's a lesson for me to learn, too. And and fans should pay attention to that, too. We don't know. Right. We don't know. And there's a lot of that information we're not supposed to know, because if we knew, then the other team would know and they would use it to their advantage. So I appreciated what Dick Williams said years ago about that and his respect for opposing or for managers in the game today. That is good. And it's so important for our game because you play every single day. Yeah. I don't know that you quite get that with the other sports because there's time for guys to get healthy or time for guys to address the media about certain questions. This is every single day. And there could be a multitude of reasons why this or that might happen and it completely surprise everybody. This is from Randolph. Okay, if I call you Randy Randolph. I keep thinking that when I was younger, Ernie and Skip would say five innings would qualify a pitcher for a win, and that's true. But if they did six and allowed less than three earned runs, they'd get credit in the books for a quality start. Did it change to six for any statistical credit over the past 20 years, or am I mistaken? It, it's not really – it didn't go really go in the books, Randolph. It wasn't a, a, a stat that uh, is official, we'll say. It's just one of those things that um, sports writers, broadcasters might use and say, well, Charlie Morton's made 20 starts and he has 14 quality starts. That just tells you, the audience, and tells me as I'm saying it, that he had that many starts where he went six or more innings and gave up three or fewer runs. Now, Leo Mazzoni used to uh, argue that that's not a quality start. That's a four and a half ERA. What's so quality about that? (laughs) But whoever hung that uh, name on it as a quality start, it stuck. So your question is that it's it's not really, it didn't change from five innings to six. Five innings will get you a win. It's just a a comment that people keep track of these days to find out how many times a pitcher goes six innings and gives up three or less. I'll tell you what it tells me. We say all the time that at the end of the day, the starting pitcher, he, while he might have a long list of things he wants to accomplish that night, he wants to give his team an opportunity to win the ball game. And if he does that, quality starts, six innings or more, three innings or fewer, he's probably checked off the box of, I gave my team a chance to win tonight. And I think that's doesn't win every night, but I think if you do that more times than not, you'll probably be in good shape, I guess. Right. Ag- agreed. And um, the way things are going right now for the Braves starting pitchers with all these runs being scored, uh, it, it's unfortunate if they can't go six. Yeah, it is. It is. Anything else you want to fire away with, JC? Yeah, this question's from from Victor. Um, he lives on Amelia Island, and this question's for you, Ben. Well, that's a pretty place. It is. He says, where did equating a routine fly ball to a can of corn originate? Long before my day. And before mine. They, as the story goes, and you correct me if I'm missing anything here, Joe, that old grocery stores, mm-hmm. high shelves, right. cans of corn up on the top row, mm-hmm. and if they needed to knock one off, it was out of the grocery keeper's uh, reach, so he'd get a broomstick, and he'd knock it down while somebody opened up their apron yeah. and caught it in the apron. Mm-hmm. So it was apparently an easy catch. Here come, You know it's coming. Easy can of corn off the top shelf. I got it in the apron, caught it. That's exactly it. Can of corn. Yep. All right. Uh, I got to read this one because this just made me laugh. This is from Robert. It says, love the work in the booth and the podcast. Keep it up. Glad y'all are back on the road. Ben, what's the most obscure voiceover work you've done in your career? And, and I thought to myself, I definitely have an answer for that. And I thought Joe might as well. If he's got 
something that you've endorsed along the way. But when I was doing minor league baseball, I had about five or six jobs year round just because you've made nothing off minor league baseball. So I was calling high school basketball, high school football, and doing some construction work on the side and everything else. But there was a voiceover gig for the public access television channel in Jackson, Mississippi that needed male voices for voiceovers because they had plenty of female voices. And these were voiceovers for the real estate channel. And every 20 seconds, they would show a house, they show a home, just photographs, uh, and the realtors would write up the scripts for the voiceover people to read. So I would go in twice a week, and for $50 an hour, I went in twice, so I made 100 bucks a week. And I was reading, and, and this is the funny thing, all the real estate agents who used this service with the public access to show the homes that they had on the market were all female realtors. So they wrote the scripts with how they would describe the house. So I would read things like, this cute, cute three-bedroom, two-bath home <laughs> located in Rankin County. Is, it's got 4,500 square feet. This precious little rent. And it was all these adjectives that I would never use. Lovely curtains. Yes. <laughs> so I was reading the, and I had to read whatever they wrote. And I did this for probably two years. And, and there, was, there were still people who, after I moved here, my first few years, who would text me and say, did you ever do spots on the real estate channel? Like, oh, yeah, I, boy. I did. So make an extra hundred bucks a week calling the doing reading the scripts for the public access real estate channel. That's beautiful. I got nothing to top that. I haven't been asked to voice anything yet. <laughs> I, I think we need to get you on something. Just for us, just once just say hello again, everybody. Hello again, everybody. That's all you need. You can do need. this. Yeah. Easy. Along with Joe and Ben. Try that. Along with Joe and Ben. Yeah. Just don't get any ideas, okay? <laughs> I'll practice for next week and come with something. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is from Ms. Harrison, whose name is spelled A-D-A, but you pronounce it like Ida. So, Ida, this is a very long comment and question, and I'm going to shorten it a little bit, but she basically says she loves the podcast. Uh, some of the... Her favorite memories over the years have been listening to Braves games, riding around with her dad and granddad. Keep up the good work. Here are some questions. If you could pick one game or series to call again, which one would it be and why? Hmm. If, the, if the outcome was the same, then I would say the 95 World Series Game 6. Yeah, that's a good one. How do you go against anything else? Yeah, if we could change the outcome, yeah. the 2020 NLCS. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, that's, that's probably the answer. Her second question is, what's your go-to Atlanta area restaurant? That's a good one. I like that. Uh, just give me Howl's and Buckhead, it, it, undefeated. That's a hard question. It, yeah. it, it kind of depends on what you're in the mood for. I'll have to get back to you on that one because, you know, do you want sushi? Do you want steak? What do you want? Yeah, I, I'm a neighborhood guy. I mean, places close to me, and I'm fortunate that uh, uh, I've lived for 30 years near some really good places, and one of them is Aspen's Steakhouse in Marietta, and uh, also uh, Lucia's Italian. So those are a couple of go-tos for us. Mm -hmm. Chicago Steakhouse, too, is another one. But uh, those are pretty, pretty much at the top of the list for me and old Kathy. And then... She said, which former Braves player do you think is the most underrated and why? Oh, man. 
I need some time to think about that one. Most underrated player. Uh, Martin Prado comes to mind. Um, because you think about the all-stars and the big names, but uh, I'm, I'm thinking of glue guys. I'm thinking of guys that were right. embraced by the clubhouse and the team knew how important they were. That's one that comes to mind. Um, Mark Lemke. Yeah, Limmer's in there. Jeff Blauser. Those guys up the middle, as good as it was, as you could get back in the beginning of the heyday of the Braves run. You know you, who you could have answered to this question two, three years ago was Freddie. Yeah. Freddie didn't become a, a coast-to-coast major league superstar until the last couple of years, wouldn't you say? I, I would say the same thing applies to Ozzy now. Yeah. I mean, there were, there were four or five years easily where we were singing his praises. We knew how good he was. But I think he was in the shadow of Goldschmidt and Votto and Rizzo and whomever else in the National League at first base. I think Ozzy's a good one outside of Atlanta. I mean, we know what he does. We see him every day. He certainly got some recognition making some all-star teams. But we don't hear enough about Ozzy nationwide. We yeah, just he's don't. awesome. Yeah, and, and he's putting up MVP stuff right now. Yeah, he now. is. And that, that ought to be talked about. He ought to be in the top five in discussions for MVP. Yeah. I'd go along with you. The other one, too, though, is Mark Lemke. Anything else we want to fire away with, fellas? we got a couple of seconds left. Let's see. Uh, this is from David. For Ben, when you were working the post-game show, how did you keep up with the game? Did you watch, listen, both? How hard was it to pay attention and be ready to roll? Also, for Joe, when you're off, how do you keep up? Do you listen to slash watch every pitch? Or is the game just on in the background? Do you ever completely stay away and just check later to see who won? And for JC, sorry, you don't get any days off. That's from David. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just asked JC. What do we miss? No. I, when I was doing the postgame show, it was easy. I watched every game. We had it on there in the studio. I kept my book then just like I do now. And if I stepped out to go grab a bite to eat or whatever, I just came back and caught up on whatever I missed over the last inning or so. Uh, I've got the game on. Uh, or I'm listening in the car if I'm off. And uh, the one thing that I don't know if it, it's fair to do this or not, but I really scour box scores. So if I miss a game and I, and I know the outcome, I know what happened, I know who the heroes were, uh, I know who got the home runs or through the shutout, but I look at the box scores to see what else stands out for me to catch up if I miss a game. JC misses nothing. Not a thing. I prefer it that way. Spring training, regular season. You know there, what, brother. though? I mean, once the season wraps up, hopefully after a successful postseason run, I got the next handful of months off, so that's yeah. my off time. That's start, right. Start calling him Ripken. <laughs> yeah, the Iron Man. Iron Man. I'm going to try to break a streak for consecutive games. <laughs> I hope you do. I do, too. Got a little ways to go. Yeah. You'll get there eventually. And maybe, just maybe, They'll let you throw out the first pitch of the next ball That'd game. That would be cool. Well, what did we say? How many consecutive games do I need to do before I throw out a first pitch? A thousand. Not too far off. No, you're getting close. No, I think a thousand. Okay. Maybe, they, maybe they'll give you a jersey with Braves jersey with a thousand across the back, too. <laughs> be your number. We may have to get that in the works. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. That's the first project for the from the Braves booth podcast. First hey, pitch for JC. I have a comment to make. Um, that, you know, this is our second road trip that we've been allowed to travel. And um, things have changed since 
over time, of course, since I started doing this, and even since I started doing Braves games 30 years ago, we always traveled coat and tie, always. Uh, that was a John Sherholtz mandate enforced by Bobby Cox. And it loosened up a little bit. Things began to relax a little bit. Sometimes we didn't have to wear ties, but we always had to have a sport coat on. Or some guys like Maddox would wear a turtleneck to bypass the, the tie mandate. So things began to loosen up a little bit. And then uh, Freddie Gonzalez comes along and uh, said, you know, on late night arrivals into Atlanta, nobody's going to see us. You can wear some jeans on the way home if you want. You mm-hmm. know, No holy jeans or any of that stuff. So flash forward now to um, the team travels almost like, uh, I guess, like an NBA team. I'm not sure that they do this, but in matching uh, jogging suits, warm-up suits, right. all wearing the same color uh, with an A logo on it, and it looks pretty sharp. Yeah. You know, they, they look uniform. And very comfortable. Very comfortable for travel. You're on a charter. You're not in a commercial flight. So I think that's really cool uh, the way the team has adjusted to that. And lo and behold, by golly, we're getting our own little jogging suits too. <laughs> We're part of the we're, part of the group. We're going to be big league too. Yeah, we are. So next road trip, we're going to be styling. That's what happens when you're seven and zero on the road, you know. Well, yeah, like we are. Yeah, but uh, we'll have our Lululemons on too. Yeah, we're going to be fancy. A couple of fancy boys up in here. Well, uh, that'll wrap up this episode of uh, from the Braves booth. As always, we appreciate you tuning in. Please like, subscribe, and all those other things that you hear people telling you to do when it comes to podcasts. We appreciate you finding us wherever you tune in. And we'll be back with you next week. Don't forget to email us, bravesbooth at gmail.com. And maybe we'll be reading your question next week on the next edition of From the Braves Booth. That is episode 10 for Jonathan. For Joe, I'm Ben. And you've been inside the Braves Booth. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.